I'm Brandon. And I'm Julianne. And welcome to Movie Quest. Hello, fellow nerds, and welcome back to another episode of the Movie Quest podcast presented by Nerd Nexus. We are deep, deep into phase three of the MCU, and today we are talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Tune in as Julianne and I ponder whether or not Ego, the living planet, is a metaphor for toxic masculinity. Whoa! Have a listen. I'd like to start off this time by having you just read the description that we see here on the Disney Plus homepage. Hit it. Dramatically. <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy, Vol.2. <laughs> Set to the sounds of awesome mixtape number two, Marvel Studios' Guardians of the Galaxy Volume <laughs> 2 continues the team's adventures as they unravel the mystery of Star-Lord's parentage whoa what does parentage mean what does parentage mean like you're parenting someone <laughs> parentage uh the <laughs> the mystery of star lord's parentage so just uh the act of parenting or the child con- rearing the concept of parent being a parent you know all right. Who's oh look out, don't let him near the kid. He wants to rear your child. <laughs> name that movie. Oh, I didn't see little uh what's his name? Rocky down yeah, there. Yeah, describe what you're seeing here. So it's like a gang of a gang of misfits is what it looks okay. like. Okay. Who would name the characters? Do you so remember? So it's them the all? guy in blue who looks like <laughs> Busey. Gary Busey? That's funny. <laughs> That's not bad. That's not crazy. No, I said that at the last one. Who is that guy? That his name is Michael Rooker. He is oh. a character actor who's been in all kinds of stuff throughout hollywood super cool guy he's scary uh he that's kind of his thing is he always ends up playing a bad guy or somebody who's sort of intimidating and stuff like that but he as we kind of saw in the first movie you know he is uh an interesting character he's a nice guy he's an interesting guy i think he is supposed to be kind of scary but ultimately pretty cool he is uh you a lot of people know him from uh the walking dead yeah. First seasons. He is one of the main antagonists in The Walking Dead. So. Yes. Well, you know, I have a really bad memory. So this is all coming back to me now. Because the one thing that I remembered about this movie was the really good music. Uh-huh. And so I'm seeing all these characters out. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, I remember Zoe Saldana. Like, okay. Remember her character's name? No. Gamora. Gamora. Like Sodom and Gamora. And, yes, um, but spirit, spirit spelled different. Oh, Okay. But I remember she, like, started out really, like, sad and dull because, like, someone was capturing her. And... Well, she's Thanos' daughter. Right, right. Thanos. You recall. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, and there's Groot. There, I, like, so much is coming back. Uh, yeah. Look, so we have baby Groot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because what happened to Groot at the end of the last movie? 
Oh, yeah, he sacrificed himself and turned himself into a tree ball. Yeah, he said, we are all Groot. <laughs> yeah. Aww. Okay. Tree of life shit right there. Yeah. And then this guy with all the tattoos, he looks like uh, Lil Nas X. <laughs> oh, wow. He look, that is Drax, played by Dave Bautista. Okay. And then, funny, I there was a recent anecdote that James Gunn put on Twitter. James Gunn is the director of the movie. He said that, I believe it was Bob Iger of Disney told them that uh, they thought that um, Dave Bautista was the wrong choice to play Drax. After the first movie? Well, let me tell the story. They thought he was the wrong person to play Drax, and so they cast him anyway. And I remember there were rumors that um, it was going to be Jason Momoa as Drax and not Dave Bautista, and I don't know if that was ever true or not. But then apparently Bob Iger saw a first cut of the movie like months before it came out in theaters, and he came up to James Gunn and said, you were right and I was wrong. Dave Bautista is perfect. And James Gunn told that story on Twitter recently. So that's nice. pretty cool. And although he's very scary, he, he's, you know, big comic relief. He's like really part. dumb. Right. Or no, he's not dumb. He just takes everything very literally. Yes, that's the, his, he's not he dumb. said his, his species can't understand metaphors <laughs> or whatever. So he takes everything very literally. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then, of course, at the bottom. Well, Rocky. Rocket Raccoon, played Rocket. by Rocky, played by Bradley Cooper. Yeah, there's like a disconnect there for me. I, don't know. I can't, like, I literally, I'd like to see video of, right. of him doing the voice, because I literally can't imagine this voice coming out of Bradley Cooper, but that speaks to Bradley Cooper's abilities and talent, doesn't yeah. it? I, think, I, I just always think of like, you know, I, I wonder, I, I'm really curious to, to understand how, you know, because a lot of the time people see an actor... And, like, see the actual human being as a character that they've played. Like, maybe they played, like, a, a crazy villain, so they, like, think that that person is that way in real yeah, life. It's called typecasting. Oh. Okay. And it happens all the time. Okay, go on. Well, I just see Bradley Cooper as the asshole from Hangover. Sure. He's so, always kind of a prick, kind of an alpha male. And I guess Rocket is kind of like that. He's, like, very curt. Sure. And, like... I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny. Like, there's a you know, in, in movie film history, there's a lot of great examples of actors being cast against type for some of their more dramatic, like some of their most memorable roles are when like a guy who always plays the good guy in a movie turns out to be bad in a mm-hmm. movie, and you're like, you know, you came into this movie with a preconceived notion about who you thought this dude would be because he always plays good guys. It turns out he's bad, and you're like, I'm just so thrown off, and like anything could happen here. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's so weird, too. Like, when an actor picks a role, do they know that that's going to be the one that, like, blows them up and, like, right. makes sure. everyone think of them that way? Like, that's kind of interesting. It's, in- it's you know, what we the movie quest that we did previously to the Mar- the MCU quest was uh, all the Leonardo DiCaprio movies. And we learned something watching all the Leo movies that he definitely has a type. And it's not, he never plays the straightforward hero of a movie. And in fact, he leans, especially lately, more towards a villain kind of a character. Like, think of Django Unchained. He's literally the antagonist of the movie, which is really interesting, isn't it? Because you think of Leo as a leading man in Hollywood, but he likes to play around with, am I a good guy? Am I a bad guy? Am I a good guy who's kind of awful? Mm -hmm. You know, is the line blurry? So, yeah, yeah. yeah, so there, there you go. We have the cast. Obviously, you know, they're all coming back. They're all posed up against a wall, kind of like, I think this image was, it's badly photoshopped, I must admit, but uh, they were not there together. But I think this is supposed to evoke the uh, 
concert poster for the Ramones. You know the mm. Ramones poster? I've heard of that. That's them. pretty iconic. Uh, let's see if we can bring that up on the Google later here real quick. Don't listen to them, but have heard of them. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not... Uh, most people have kind of heard of them, but nobody nobody listens to them unless you're trying to ape some 70s stuff. So it's supposed to be a band poster sort of evoking the... Oh, yeah. You got to have the crop top in your band photo. Interesting. Oh, look, this one right here. This is perfect. This is like that's I think they're kind of going for that sort of vibe. Like, we don't care. We're the we're kind of rebels and we're Mm -hmm. kind of a hodgepodge group. And I think that sort of alludes to the musical nature of the movie, how the soundtrack was the big driver. And of course, this movie is called Guardians of the Galaxy, not part two, but volume two, which sort Mm -hmm. of. You know, evokes the uh, callback to the first movie's um, soundtrack and the plot point of the mixtape, which brings me to a note I want to say here. So something that you mentioned, the so the mixtape, if you remember, was given to Peter by his mom, mm-hmm. right? So he had his Walkman with him, and that was a big thing. Like, that was sort of one of his MacGuffins that he always had to have with him, and he went back and made some boneheaded choices to keep the the uh, Walkman with him, mm-hmm. and then he always had that note from his mother. It was addressed to her little Star Lord, yeah, right. Aww. And so we actually find out the origin of the name Star Lord. And he opens it up. It's the mixtape volume two. He had it in his possession for twenty five years, and never even knew it. Mm-hmm. And so this movie features the sounds from that soundtrack, okay. uh, which is very exciting. But do you remember what you said at the end of the first movie? Okay, so let me let's go plot recap real quick. Real quick. So Peter Quill, aka Star Lord, is tracking down a mysterious gem that we learn is an Infinity Stone. Okay, and we get a little bit of the origins of the Infinity Stone. Meanwhile, Ronan the Accuser, the blue guy who we learn is a Kree warrior dude, Madman, he's trying to acquire this Infinity Stone for Thanos. He's doing some bidding for Thanos. He decides he's going rogue. He's going to attack the planet of uh, Xandar and kill all the Xandarians or whatever because of some long-held, you know, cultural disagreement or something like that. And so at the end of the movie, the Guardians of the Galaxy um, save help save Xandar, and they get into a little dance-off. You remember the dance-off? You don't remember when Peter Quill starts dancing right in front of the bad guy? And he's doing something weird? The blue guy? No, Peter Quill. I thought Peter Quill was Chris Pat. Chris Pratt. Yeah, he's not blue, though. I know. Who's the bad guy? Oh, that's Ronan the Accuser. Yes, he's... Yeah, blue. Yes. I thought you meant that blue guy. Yeah, Yondu. that's what I'm thinking That's about. not the bad guy. That's Yondu. Oh. Well, then I can't remember now. Okay, this so is the guy that... We, this is the guy that wields the big hammer... Tell me who to look up. Hammer Man. Yandu? That, no, that's Yandu right there. What? <laughs> Tell me who to look up. <laughs> look up Ronan the Accuser. Okay. Oh my god. The discombobulation levels are unbelievable. Let's see. What do you got? This guy's green. Oh. I don't remember a dance between them. Okay, so at the end, they crash land the ship. This is when fucking... Oh! Okay, and he's trying to distract from something. That's right! And so Rocket gets... Oh my god. Listen! It's every day. Hold on. The way that I react is the way that a lot of people would react. You have the mind of a Marvel Universe mind. I don't. 
So trying to connect all the dots here and remember the vast amount of information is very relatable to a lot of people. Uh, you're probably right. You're probably we right. We watched this movie like a month ago. Yeah. Right? I'm just, yes, yeah. I'm just saying, it's not crazy for normal folk like me to forget little details like that. Okay. All right. So, just remind me and then usually I remember. All right. So they, they uh, do dance off thing or whatever. And then the diamond or the the infinity stone falls from his hammer and is going to hit the ground and Quill jumps and he catches it and there's a swirl of death and all that and they hold hands and he's like, we're the guardians of the galaxy, bitch. Remember that? Super sick. It was heroic and stuff. Okay, so the Xandar people play the president, Xandar, what was her name? Fucking... uh, uh, Nova Prime, played by Glenn Close. She's like, wait a sec. I think our scientists know why you survived, Peter. You're only half human. Do you remember this? Nope. Okay. Well, <laughs> I remember you watching. I remember, Close. I remember you in the in the movie going, wait, who's his dad then? Well, who is it? I'd like you to read the last line of the. Uh, Oh, unravel the mystery. Okay. Of his parentage, we're getting into who, where, who the who the hell is this Quill guy? Who the? You can cuss on this podcast. This isn't a children's podcast. Who the f u q? So, Guardians of the Galaxy was one of your favorite movies from Phase Two, correct? One of your favorites in all of the MCU, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. What are you looking forward to seeing in this movie? What kind of stuff are you interested in getting to the bottom of? I want to say, oh man, I don't know if I just remember the baby group craze or if I've seen this movie. I don't know. We have a little baby group statue. Like, you could get toys of baby group. Like, I know, but Target. do you remember when I said, I've seen this movie? And then we watched the movie and I was like, I don't think I've seen this movie. Yeah, I remember that. Maybe I've seen this one. I don't, I don't know. I, I think the baby group will be reminiscent of Baby Yoda, which I'm excited about. Okay. Right? Because it's like cute and stuff. Sure, sure. It's very cute. Um, I'll give you that. That's then, not even a spoiler. I don't know. I just like all the personalities. They work together. So, and okay. obviously the music. What if I told you that in, not only are we, what if I told you that not only did all the actors come back and the director, James Gunn, he's back. So you know you're in for some greatness. And then we also get a new guardian added to the team. Who? I'm not going to tell you. She's not in this picture though, but it's a she. Oh, is it her sister? No, but great note. That's something else you were really interested in the first movie was the relationship between the sisters, the daughters of Thanos, Gamora and Nebula. Remember, they kind of hated each other, but they also kind of like, you know, helped each other a little bit. And then yeah. at the end, Nebula cut her own arm off and fell away. And we saw her hijack a ship. And I said something clever like, you think she's? You think we've seen the last of her? Well, do you? We'll see. We'll see. All right. What else? Anything else? Um, that's all I've got. Everybody's back. It's the sequel. This is the middle of phase three. This is actually the 15th Marvel movie in the MCU. We've only watched, we skipped Hulk, so we've only seen 13. So this will be our 14th movie in the series. Um, so we're kind of out of order. This movie actually came out about eight months before Black Panther. Uh, but that's okay, you know, because they're not necessarily related to each other, but we're going to get a lot of interesting. Now that you're like 
kind of on the board with what an Infinity Stone is and sort of stuff. You know, we've watched a lot of movies recently that are very Earth-based, and we're going back to space with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume I 2. I like but, the Earth-based, but I also like this movie, so. Yeah, so. And that's what I dislike about all of this, is the sci-fi space. But I do like this movie, so I'm excited. All right. You ready to uh, watch Guardians of the Galaxy Vol 2? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is in the books right off the bat. Julianne, what did you think about this movie? And how many Guardians do you give? <laughs> uh, I give it 6.5 out of 10. Interesting. Uh, there were things I liked, things I didn't like. Um, did not love this movie. Okay, tell us why. Um, Just launch in, just chop it up. Gosh, I, I mean, the first one was better. I just think, like, just with the, it was so disruptive, the first one in a good way, and the way, how different it was from all the other Marvel movies. Sure. Um, and so, it's this one isn't as crazy and different, because you've already kind of seen it before. I thought the music was better in the first one. I don't know. You know, I, I, I felt like in this movie, you know, I've seen it before. I feel like watching it in the context of all the other movies that we've seen it feels irrelevant to most of the mcu and also it feels i'm sorry to say a little bit too cutesy for its own good did Mm -hmm. you get any of that at all no i wouldn't say cutesy thank you ripley (laughs) i i never thought cutesy um i thought other things but no not cutesy okay i just feel like i mean it I think it's fair to rely on humor and the first movie certainly did a fair bit of that. But like this movie was like really like chewing up minutes of time on comedy. That in my opinion, wasn't very funny. Right. Like the whole part about that, this part that we just saw in the trailer. Um, Cause we always rewatch the trailer after the movie the next day before we do our long podcast um, with the tape does anyone have tape? Right. And, like, they, like, have a very important task they need to do, and, like, people are dying out there. Like, that wasn't funny to me. It was, like, pretty annoying. Yeah, and they do that trick twice, and it's really, like, two of the two of the biggest action set pieces of the movie, the beginning where they're fighting the interdimensional slug monster thing. Right. That instead, you know, and it's kind of a, it's interesting, like... That was the scene that you actually see the most of in the trailers, and it happens to be the literal opening scene of the movie, like the opening credits. Mm -hmm. And you don't really even focus on the battle that much. It's more just like a vehicle for the credits, which is fine, and that's an interesting idea. But then they just turn around and do the same thing again at a big, significant portion of the final battle, which, yeah, it's like, okay, I'm pretty out of this moment right now. Is it funny in and of itself? Sure, I guess. But we get so much Groot doesn't understand stuff. You know, it's like, okay, dude, I got it. Yeah. I think it kind of detracts from the movie a little bit. Yeah. I thought, like, 
I don't know. I, all my notes are in order of the movies, so how do we want to do this? You start, just say whatever's on your mind. Okay. I'd love to just jump in. Something that I thought was, that I really liked was all of the rainbow stuff. You know, like in the beginning, there was like rainbow sparks and rainbow smoke and throughout yeah. the movie, like just very colorful. Ra- rainbowy stuff. And I liked that. Like, I thought that was very visually appealing. Um, when the first, you know, the first opening scene, I liked the whole... Kurt, have we seen Kurt Russell before in these no. movies? Okay. I, I kept expecting you to say, hey, that's Kurt Russell. And well, he, I knew it was Kurt Russell, but I was like, have I seen him before? You know, because they'll show up in a little way and then you watch sure. him in a movie and you're like, oh my gosh. Um, but I like the the original origin story of his parents. Sure. So Missouri, 1980, and we get uh, top down in the, convert, or in the Camaro or whatever and mm-hmm. uh, going behind the Dairy Queen. Yeah. I get strange space fruit. That's the scene you're talking about? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just nice because you could see his mom, like, happy and healthy. That's and the same actress nice. as the first movie as well. Yeah. So that's kind of a nice continuity there that yeah. you don't always see that. So yeah. that's great. So you were into it. Yeah, I was into that. And then it jumped right into the uh, disgusting slug part, which had the really pretty rainbow stuff. But that, like, obviously the point of the monster was to be, like, disgusting and gross. But I was so repulsed by that slug thing like with the teeth i literally was like squinting my eyes so i didn't have to see it and like so i could blur it out it reminds me of that scene in the coneheads where dan Aykroyd goes to the dentist and opens his mouth and he has like 20 rows of teeth like i remember seeing that and being like that is fucking disturbing <laughs> oh wow i know it just like That's really freaked me out and like then i saw it, i was like gross like I don't know. so monster design really turned you off here yes all right well yeah, I thought it was just kind of a silly space slug sort of thing. It didn't do. It wasn't weird for me. What did you think about uh, Drax diving inside of the monster's mouth, and then he was stabbing on it on the, from the inside, and there was it was gushing yellow goo everywhere, and then Gamora cuts it open from from stern to navel, and uh, Drax slides out laughing and stuff like that. That that was it grossed you out. That's disgusting. I think that's the point. It's supposed yeah. to be funny. Yeah, it's not funny to me. <laughs> Groot is dancing the whole time. I did say Groot dancing was cute. And yeah. like, I feel like baby Groot was like kind of the equivalent of how baby Yoda is now. Like people watch the Mandalorian just like girlfriends and wives watch the Mandalorian because of baby Groot. hundred percent. I mean, baby Yoda. But, and so baby Groot was like kind of the first one being really cute. Um, and it was funny how he was kind of stupid, but then we have two stupid people, Dave Bautista and baby Groot. A little too much stupid for you, huh? Too stupid. Plus, I mean, Star-Lord's kind of dumb himself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are you going to do, right? So they're doing this, um, this, uh, job. They're protecting these batteries. They've been hired as mercenaries. They're, their fame as the Guardians of the Galaxy has kind of preceded them. This movie actually only takes place six months after the events of the first one. Six Earth months, I should say. And uh, so they've been hired by the Sovereign, those are the gold people, to protect the batteries. And uh, that actress who plays, the, you love her. I, no, what is she in? She's her name so is familiar. Elizabeth DeBecky. What is she in? Oh, hell. She's in various things. Let me she, look it up while you talk, because I, I recognize her from something. Yeah we, yeah, we did see her in something pretty recently, and she was in, like, a heist movie with, like, um, 
I don't know. She's in like all kinds of stuff. Oh, The Great Gatsby. Yeah, she's in The Great Gatsby. But I don't know if it, was she that friend. Oh, she was Jordan. She, yes, yes. Okay. Not Daisy. She was Jordan. Right, right, right. She's in. She's in a couple things, and she's got some pretty significant roles. She's six foot two in oh, yeah. IRL, mm-hmm. and in this movie, she was. Uh, wearing platform heels that made her six foot seven feet tall. God, she's so, a, she was in Tenet, actually, too. So, yeah, yes, exactly. So she is um, a rising star in Hollywood. This is one of her earlier roles. This was, you know, four years ago almost now. And so um, she definitely is uh, sort of uh, a superhuman type of person. And so she was a perfect person to play the leader of the sovereigns. And of course, Quill is flirting with her a little bit and mm-hmm. showing her the, he wants to show her the old fashioned way of making a baby and all that sort of stuff. So we quickly learn though, that uh, rocket has stolen a battery. Mm-hmm. And so we get fun space battle and it's kind of like star Wars, the empire strikes back. They go through the asteroid field, but this is a quantum asteroid field and they get their asses saved by a one inch man. It looks like on a spaceship. And it turns out that's, Kurt Russell. So, mm-hmm. uh, and we re- learn right away. There's very little mystery. I'm your father, Peter. Yeah. What did you think about Kurt Russell as the father figure, and how did that all play out for you? Um, well, before before that, I want to say something about the gold people. Okay. I did think that um, the simulated shooting things, you know, like when they were like really on their own planet, yeah, like they were like ar- those little like video games. It's like arcadey sort of thing. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Yeah. I like that. Okay. Um, and then Kurt Russell, I was like, oh, okay. Like, obviously, we knew that this was going to be about his parents, and it started that way. So, I mean, his it was it was weird, though, like, how Gamora was like, yeah, he, maybe, you know, like, believe him. He could be your dad. Yeah. But then she's Peter like. Did, Peter said, I'm not buying it. Right, right. And then she, when they get on there, it's like all of a sudden it changes for her. I thought that was like a weird shift. Okay. She was like, I it doesn't feel right. Like, I don't know. It's just It just seemed kind of random because, like. What, Why? Motiv- what motivated that change right. in her mindset? Yeah, yeah that's a fair like point. It just kind of came out of nowhere. And, like, like, I get it. Like, follow your intuition. But it's not like she's, like, known for, like... F- her intuition. Her intuition. <laughs> right. So it's just kind of, like, out of nowhere. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I was like, oh, okay, Kurt Russell, what's up? And, like, the, the yeah. world was pretty and stuff, so... You know, um, oh, I should mention, by the way, that it just so happens, there's a little bit of deus ex machina, sort of. Uh, oh, good thing that this plot point happened exactly like this, but... Nebula was captive of the Sovereigns because she, too, was trying to steal some batteries. And so we kind of just get sort of a very convenient way for Nebula to be in the possession of the Guardians of the Galaxy. And so Mm -hmm. when they crash land on Forest Planet after the battle with the Sovereign people... um, Nebula's with them, and so that's a little little too convenient for me, but that's fine. I don't have a huge problem with it, but very quickly we got Nebula back, and uh, everybody gets separated, though, when they all go to Ego's planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Rocket and Nebula and Groot stay on the forest planet, and, yes. and then Drax and Gamora and Peter go to Ego with egos to egos planet with ego Mm -hmm. so we have the classic hey let's split the team up and everybody's got their own sort of plot and you knew they were going to come back together by the end um i kept thinking i remember thinking this in the theater and i remember remember like getting halfway through the movie and asking myself what are we trying to accomplish here and who is the bad guy i have the same thing i have what exactly is the plot of this story 
sister feud. Gamora feels weirded out by ego. Like, yeah. I was like, and then like the blue guy, I always forget his Yondu. name. Yondu. Yondu, that whole storyline. There was, it so was not very focused. It dawned on me about, and this was my first viewing years ago, four, almost four years ago now. It dawned on me about halfway through the movie, not knowing who the villain was. And it dawned, oh my God, it's his father. His father is the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And I, granted, like have a working knowledge of Marvel comics, but I, you know, I know Ego, the living planet is a real Marvel villain. Uh, but I, I've always kind of thought that he was sort of a um, aloof from the most of the rest of the events of the MCU and kind of was doing his own thing and not necessarily a hero or a villain. So it took me a little while to realize, oh, the reason why we can't, we don't know who the bad guy is in this movie is because it's deliberately being hidden from us, which means it's got to be Kurt Russell's character. And yay, verily, it all comes to fruition pretty quickly that this is the bad dude. So um, we also got a new character, Mantis. Oh, yeah. What do you think about her? Uh, She was okay kind of look weird and creepy like i guess that was kind of the point but she was cute and nice yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i liked her she was uh not like any of the other characters so she was like kind of a breath of fresh air you have always told me and you're very proud of this that you're very empathetic you are big on emotions you like to feel and you like to think you can feel other people's emotions we have here a superhero ostensibly who her power is feeling emotions and interpreting them and possibly controlling them, that do anything for you? Um, yeah, it sounds stressful. <laughs> what, feeling all the emotions? Yeah. I mean, it's nice that she has to touch them first and she doesn't just like feel them when they come in her field of vision. Yeah. yeah but, yeah. That's a- Boy, it feels like you'd be an emotional wreck all the time, right? I already am. No, I mean like just her. Oh, yep. Yeah, I mean, she seemed very timid and shy. Yeah, it was sad kind of because he was basically keeping her as a pet Mm -hmm. and she was ultimately the person who let everybody know i've got something to tell you right he's bad Mm -hmm. yeah weird okay so meanwhile we get yondu as you've already mentioned they're on a planet called contraxia oh yeah i have something to say about that visiting a whorehouse it looks like and they bump into stakar who is apparently the leader of all the ravager clans and he is played by sylvester stallone Mm -hmm. That was also a moment where I halfway expected you to say, whoa, sliced alone, and it never happened. So I was wondering if you, like, actually recognized him. Yes, of course. Okay. Um, yeah, something that I thought about all of the cronies were, like, they were dumb. His and goons. Che- like, it cheapened their, the seriousness of them. It was like It was like a bunch of guys playing dress up with, like, Oh hey, uh, put I don't. It was just very un, unbelievable. Okay, <laughs> I didn't like any in a of that. literal sense. Like even when like they they capture Baby Groot and they're like being mean to him, they're like Ehh! they're like just these like <laughs> fake scary. So you're people. talking about Taser Face and all yeah, those guys. Like, you just didn't like, buy them as actual antagonists. It seems very cheap. Okay. It cheapened it. Sure. So of course you're referring to pretty quickly. We get a little bit of a mutiny. Yondu. Mm-hmm tracks very conveniently i might add he had placed a tracker on their ship after xandar from the first movie and pretty easily tracked the milano to forest planet where we get rocket doing a bunch of raccoon stuff in the trees and he's hopping from tree to tree doing forest bits and then uh we get they capture uh him and groot and 
Nebula also intercedes and sort of shoots Yondu's mohawk off, which was weird, but there's totally a mutiny. And so now we have Taserface as the leader of this clan of Ravagers. And yeah, like you said, they, they throw everybody in the, in the brig, they go back to the spaceship and they're kicking everybody's ass. And, uh, we get some, this is, I think this really like this entire plot point is we needed to be able to see Yondu in sort of a, a light where we cared about him and what he had to say, like emotionally. Yeah. And we kind of get a little bit of background as to why he, um, kept Peter when Peter was a boy because he could, you know, he says it's because he could slide into small spaces and stuff like that. But we find out later that, you know, it's actually because he didn't want, he knew what ego really was and didn't want to deliver Peter to ego. Right. You know? Yeah. And I like that. Like, I didn't really like Yondu at first just because I don't really like that, like that actor. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think it was a nice little, like tied it up in a bow. You realize he really loved him in the end and we can talk about that later, but um, yeah, I thought that was nice. I liked his character in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, he was cool. He's definitely a more sympathetic character. And I think in the Guardians of the Galaxy comic books, Yondu is more often than not a guardian. He is one of the Guardians of the Galaxy. And so mm-hmm. they sort of changed his origin story a little bit for these movies and then kind of incorporated him back into the Guardians. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the mo- in the comic, he has an, the actual like really tall mohawk. He had like a smaller version of it in the first movie. So yeah. this one, he had tall mohawk to control his whistle, his whistle dart thingy, which That's is cool. super fun. Cool. I love that slow-mo scene with the music and it's flying all over the ship, <laughs> killing everybody yeah, and all yeah. that. That was awesome. Um, so yeah, they, they escape, but before they do, uh, Nebula takes her cut and she leaves on a ship to go try to kill Gamora. And we get some really sad stuff from her about how, Every time they would fight as sisters, like Thanos would make them fight. And every time that she would lose a fight, she would get a body part of hers removed and replaced with electronic. Very sad. And so she wants to, I think she thinks that she wants revenge on her sister. But as we learned from their big fight, all she wanted was a sister. Mm-hmm. You know, what it, as someone with two sisters, I don't have sisters. I've got one brother. As someone with two sisters, I know that... It seems that sisters always share a really special bond. Mm-hmm. How did that relationship in this movie strike you? Yeah, I mean, it was getting kind of exhausting with them fighting over and over and over. And one would, you know, like Gamora would save her and then Nebula would try and kill her. And she's like, oh my God. That's okay. what you sisters do, though. Well, I know, but like, have some sort of resolution. Like, Gamora, stop saving her if you know she's going to come kill you. Like, right. I don't know, it's just kind of annoying. But I did, I thought it was nice in the end how we finally got some relief from that yeah. with her telling her how she really felt, so. Seems like Nebula's kind of on the good guys now. It would have been nice if um, Mantis figured out how Nebula was actually feeling. That would have been cool. That would have been a good scene to get, right? Like, read. I don't know how that didn't happen. Maybe that's a deleted scene. I have no idea, but damn, James Gunn, you hear what we're saying over here? We should have got we should have got a little 90-second scene where Mantis accidentally brushes up against her. Right, or when she's sleeping or something. Yeah, and she's like, uh, oh my gosh, Gamora, she really loves you deep mm-hmm. down. or something. Like, that seems like a missed opportunity. That's mm-hmm. a really good point. Damn. Oh, well. Oh, well, you hate to see um, it. All in all, though, I thought the movie was very colorful and neon and bright, and, like, it seemed very 80s, like, very Tron to me, the coloring of it. Um, and I had an idea for our next movie quest. Ooh, tell that me. might be kind of interesting, which you're going to really LOL at this. So 
You know how I do not like the 80s, like, at all? Right. I thought, you know, since I really like this aesthetic, like, what if we did watch the best picture Oscar winner movie from every year of the 80s? Whoa. That's a pretty good idea, babe. So, because I feel like maybe I can gain some appreciation if I watch, like, the best of the best from the 80s. Wow. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I uh, my sister and my dad are obsessed with watching Seinfeld, and I just can't even watch it because like the hair and the outfits are so ugly, um, and I just like I just do not like the aesthetic at all. So I don't know. It just kind of got me thinking. Maybe I'd like that, or maybe '90s. I don't know. I like no. the '90s more than the '80s. So I think that's a really good idea. I mean, when I was first becoming movie guy, um, you know, I thought that. The, the best thing that I could do to know what I'm talking about is have a great working knowledge of all of the best picture. Like, just what what is literally, what is a good movie? Because, like, we grew up thinking, like, Dumb and Dumber and... <laughs> Night at the Roxbury. <laughs> yeah, Night at the Roxbury or, like, the pinnacle of cinema. And, like, it's only when you go and you have, like, a basis of comparison that you can start to know what you're talking about. And, like, mm-hmm. when you start to see... When you've seen you know, 15, 20, 30 movies that were nominated for Best Picture, you're like, oh, that's what a Best Picture winner looks like. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that the Academy is the end-all be-all, because they're not. And there's been some movies that have won Best Picture that are god-awful, namely Crash. Crash is fucking awful, and there were three or four movies that were twice the movie of Crash that year. What if we did, like, this... Sundance Film Festival. Like, I would trust that more because they're like indie yeah. movies. I don't know. Just yeah, I mean, they more often than not, I think the Academy gets it right. Do you want to hear the 10 movies that won Best Picture in the 80s? I think... I have the we, list right now. I know. I think we should have a whole podcast where we pitch our ideas to each other and then we'll do this then. I don't okay. think this is the right time and maybe I shouldn't have even brought it up. But that should be a podcast... Well, I a think whole episode. when we, I think that at the end, after we finish the MCU, we should have an MCU wrap up, just a whole episode, talk about where it is, where it is, what it meant, what it's meant to cinema, how it fits in. Did you appreciate your time? And then have discussion on what our next thing should be. Cause I've got a couple ideas too. Or we could each pitch an idea and have our listeners choose for us. Ooh. That may be later down the line when All actually right. people are listening to this. And we can do a Q and a. We'll answer your questions, readers. Mm-hmm. All right, no, so listeners. Or yeah, listen. Yeah, they're not reading. What are we talking about? <laughs> reading with their ears. All keep, right. So anyway, keep your ears listening. Um, I did like the parent origin story with the energy ball. That was nice, and I know Brandon baseball means oh, a lot yeah. to you so like when he had the energy ball and kurt russell helped him harness it and then they yeah. were throwing it around you're like oh they're playing ball together you, like you want to know something that's really heartbreaking yes so i was reading the imdb for this movie and um so this movie was i think announced they announced that a sequel is coming in hot like a couple weeks before the first movie even came out so this was announced in 2014 i think they primarily filmed it in late 2015 and in 2016 and um, during the production of the of Chris Pratt's movie before this, Jurassic Park, Lost King, whatever the hell it was. No, Jurassic World. Jurassic World. I don't know. Chris Pratt's dad died. Oh, no. Yeah. And apparently he didn't want the cast and the rest of the cast and crew to be affected by 
that personal situation. And so he kind of mostly kept that under wraps. And it just so happened that this movie was his next slated film. And obviously one of the big themes of the movie is his relationship with his father and the Mm -hmm. tossing of the ball, the father that he never had. And so James Gunn, I think, said that he thinks that Chris Pratt got the opportunity to really lean into some of the emotions that he had from that and sort of channel that in his acting in this movie. And That's very interesting. Yeah, it's very sad. It's as a, as a somebody very... who's lost, we've both lost parents, you and I, and it's definitely affects you in ways that you don't even understand at the time. And it takes years of self-reflection more often than not to fully process that. So it's, it's probably, it was probably pretty wild for the guy to go straight from Jurassic Park to this and know what this, this movie was about. Yeah. Well, what an interesting experience to like be able to actually use genuine emotion in such a specific role. I wonder how many people have done that. Yeah, it's hard to say. Mm -hmm. Um, I have one final, actually, let's kind of wrap up the plot here. But um, so Ego, it turns out his plan is to sort of seed the universe Actually, this, this, how this his name is ego. This is the part I was going to say, but it ties in with exactly where we're at in the plot part of this podcast. So, I decided somewhere along the way while watching this movie last night that the real this is like a bit of a take here. So work with me. I think that the real villain of this movie is toxic masculinity. Mm. Is that crazy? No, I don't think so. Okay, so consider that we have a character named Ego who thinks that his mission is to spread his literal seed across the galaxy so that and remake everything in his image. Mm -hmm. And he gets upset and gets violent when he can't have his way. And, you know, meanwhile, we've got relationships with sisters and stuff like that. And, um, you know, that, that are they're moving towards a more healthy thing. And this is you know, uh, Peter Quill's big struggle in this movie is to reject the toxicity in his relationship with his father. And he learns that his father basically implanted cancer, a tumor Mm -hmm. into his mom. And yeah, he rejects the notion and he's just like, I just want to help my friends out. I don't want to be a God. He rejects like he could have stayed on that planet and helped his father and been a god, but he rejects that and elects to help his friends. What do you think about that? That the villain here is sort of a metaphor for toxic masculinity. Yeah, I completely agree. When he was going into his plot, like he was just so confident. Like when he was monologuing, right? Yeah, and kind of like going through his, you know, how he's been planting his seed. Ew. Ew. Um, and all over the galaxy. And, you know, he, I totally agree with you. I mean, very, very smart how his name was Ego and his just ego was just taking over everything. So, yeah, I don't I don't know anyone who liked that unless you're like Donald Trump or something. Yeah, I, I mean, it's obviously I mean, he's quite literally the bad guy of the movie and his what he's doing isn't right. And we're definitely made to see that. Yeah. So. And it's good, like to see very clearly how toxic that can be yeah you know you know and the other relationship that um peter has with a father figure is yondu and we we find out here that like yondu you know beat him up a little bit when he was a kid to make him tough and all that stuff but i think that the the central like 
the lo- I remember getting like choked up in the theater when Yondu says, I may not have been your father, but I am your daddy, boy. Yeah, I know. I was like, I, oh, and then he, he only had, I mean, again, a little convenient for the plot, but he had one jet pack and one spacesuit. Very Armageddon. Yeah, exactly. I, I wrote so. on here, ultimate father sacrifice right at that part. I thought that was really nice. Yeah. And so unlike Ego, Ego wanted to sacrifice his son for himself. Yondu sacrifices himself for his son. It's the other way around. Well, it's also nice the idea that like, you know, we have this idea of like the nuclear family, like the father who's successful, like that, you know, quote unquote ego, um, but not present. And then the alternative was Yondu, who's kind of like rough around the edges, like tough love kind of guy, but like was really there for him. Sure. So it's just kind of like reexamining what is a healthy relationship, you know? Right. Yeah, it's all very interesting. So, um, yeah, definitely going to think about this movie through that lens going forward. Because, you know, there's actually so much going on and not necessarily the best way that it's difficult probably to pick up on some of those themes and some of the bigger picture stuff, the first roll through this movie. But having seen it, you know, maybe two and a half to three times at this point, like, uh, I'm like, okay, I kind of get it. But... I do kind of agree with your assessment, like six and a half guardians here, because I think it's kind of messy. I'm okay with not fitting into a normal um, plot structure, I mean, but this is fairly normal. It's our heroes, a little, little bit of turmoil. There's a rivalry between Peter and Rocket that's sort of splitting the group in half. The group literally and figuratively splits, and mm-hmm. some go one way, some go the other. And ultimately, they come back together to help each other and become a real family again and sort of that, you know, but there's a lot of stuff going on. But I just, I'm not crazy about this movie. I don't know. I have a couple more things I want to say that I thought were funny. Do it. Um, <laughs> you know how there's that whole Baskin Robbins scene in Ant-Man? Where he says he, like, Baskin tries, Robbins always finds out. Or just like he tries to work there and yeah, he, yeah. yeah, that whole scene. Like there was Dairy Queen in this one, so I wonder like what the what's the deal with that? You know, like how do they like get contracts? I, I don't know. It's yeah, just so there's random. there's literally people whose job that is to work out licensing agreements mm-hmm. with those kinds of companies and stuff. I will funny. would it shock you to learn that James Gunn grew up in Missouri? No. Would it shock you to learn that that car he was driving was the same kind of car James Gunn drove when he was in high school in the late 70s. Aww. Yeah, so a little bit of a throwback to his own history. And by the way, you know Craglin, the Ravager who kind of has kind of funny eyes and he's kind of a good guy? The one who got them the mohawk at the end? Yes. Yes. That's James Gunn's brother. Yeah, you said that. Sean Gunn. So he's definitely he was definitely in the first movie too as one of the Ravagers, oh, and uh, a big feature part of this one as well. But um, yeah, they grew up in Missouri, and so he definitely injects a little bit of his own sort of personal flavor and chaos. Um, can I? Oh, you have more stuff. I do want to talk just for a sec about James Gunn after this. But okay, go ahead. yeah, a couple more things. Um, I do want to say that the it's I swear to God the last forty five minutes of the movie and it ranked sure for this one too. Action 
sequence and it's the final action sequence in Susan. It's like 45 minutes long. Remember when I paused it and yes. I was like, we were at 5134 and I was like, okay, here it comes. Cause I, it was obvious the action was about to start. Right. And I just like, don't like action, especially sci-fi action. Um, so the action 100% lost me at the end. And then that whole scene with the, with the tape, I was just like very over it at that point. Yeah. Um, I couldn't tell you anything that happened in the battle scene. I was just so checked out. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, do you, I guess what you're suggesting is that these Marvel films are becoming a bit formulaic. Yes. It probably feels like that, especially because we're watching them only with only a couple days apart from each other. Right. You know, when you go for a year not seeing one (laughs) you're like oh yeah it's a breath of fresh air yeah um but that's fair (sighs) the last thing i want to say was that i thought that the ravagers funeral at the end was beautiful with all of the fireworks and that was like such a nice tribute like i almost got choked up choked up at that part it was like oh it was so nice yeah it turns out that they went ahead and honored uh honored yondu for so apparently he was kind of on the bad side of the Ravagers, because as piratey as they are, they do have a code. And apparently Yondu was Ego's go-to guy for collecting his progeny mm-hmm. and delivering them. Um, which makes me wonder how old Yondu actually is. But anyway. Um, <laughs> you would so, wonder that. So I, I guess they found out somehow that... Like, how did they find out that Yondu was, in fact, good? Because last we saw Stakar. So I'm was... telling you that if it was in the last 45 minutes, I do not know. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. So we got um, some characters, like some sort of recognizable actors sort of saying, yeah, next time we'll be there to help out or whatever. And it was Stallone. And mm-hmm. one of those voices was actually Miley Cyrus. And uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Michelle Yeoh, I guess is probably how you say her name. She's sort of a Hong Kong uh, kung fu cinema type of lady legendary actress she's she was in um crouching tiger hidden dragon among other movies she's a super badass martial artist um she was one of them it seems like super small cameo for actors that are of a certain pedigree which i guess when you're james gunn and it's the marvel universe i mean you show up on set if, you, if they need you you know because you could get involved in the franchise and get paychecks after this mm-hmm. if they want to bring your character back you know yeah so. yeah what were we going to say about james gunn okay so this kind of wraps it up i mean just to put a bow on the movie um th- we get a ravager funeral and where do the guardians go they all pile on board the ship and they just sort of they say something like oh we're gonna double our money because we got to we're going to double our money because we've saved the universe twice or whatever. And uh, they just kind of fly off or something. I don't know. I don't remember. Well, the movie ends and then we get a couple post credit scenes of Kraglin using the whistle dart thing. And, uh, oh, yeah. And he sh- <laughs> shoots Drax. Yeah he, yeah. he shoots Drax with it on accident. And uh, we get some Quill and Gamora trying to dance maybe. Oh, and there's Teenage Groot. Oh, yeah, that That's was funny. Fun. Yeah, and so then there we go. The Guardians of the Galaxy fly off and live another day. Uh, I wonder if we'll see them again. Who knows? We will. So after this movie, um, James Gunn had allegedly already writ- completely written the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 script. But he was sort of kind of canceled. Um, Marvel actually, Marvel and Disney fired him from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 because 
He had a couple tweets, as I told you, both in this episode and the one for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. He's very active on Twitter. And he had a couple jokes of literally years and years ago, like in 2010 or whatever, that were like, I don't remember. Like, I remember reading the article, but I couldn't tell you now. But they had to do with Nazis or something. And they were just like, they weren't even that bad. It was sort of just like off-color jokes. It was clear it was a joke. Like a tongue-in-cheek, like he was responding to somebody else. And like, I think it was a bunch of Trump dweebs that sort of piled on together and sort of created a petition to say, well, if you're going to say that right-wing people can't say this, then you got to say the same thing about James Gunn, which, to be fair, like, you got to uphold the same standards. But I think that it was a comment that was taken out of context. And when you look at the greater body of James Gunn's tweets and things he said in the media and stuff, you would see, like, he's not a hateful person or whatever. He made a bad joke. Unfortunately, in our day and age, you can't do that. Yeah, that's fair. And be stupid enough to document it. Yeah, that's that's all completely fair. Um, so Marvel and Disney removed him, unfortunately, from from the from the next movie, and so it did not take long for him to find work. Um, he was hired by DC and Warner Brothers to create the quote unquote sequel to the Suicide Squad. Oh, there's a new Suicide Squad movie coming out next year. Directed by James Gunn. I don't even compete clause or what? (laughs) Well, that's a great question. I don't quite know how that works, but I suppose when they fired him, they released him from all sorts of commitments and things like that. Mm -hmm. And he did all the pre-production for the Suicide Squad sequel, quote unquote, which Mm -hmm. I don't know how that works. And I honestly don't give a fuck about the DC extended universe. And I don't know how the continuity works here, but there's characters I'm pretty sure died in the last movie that are back for this one. And this movie is like said to take place. It looks like it takes place in the seventies. Whereas the other one took place present day. I don't fucking know who gives a shit. But anyway, um, it's completely chaotic and super rated R. And I guess that's the DC people think that they're hardos because they can get a R rated movie made. I don't know who gives a shit. Anyway, at some point down the line, like, Basically, Disney separated themselves from James Gunn, let him go do his movie, which hasn't come out yet, mostly due to COVID, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And now in the last maybe six months ago or something like that, he has officially been rehired to do Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Did he come out with an apology or something? Yeah, I mean, he did immediately. And like Dave Bautista and Chris Pratt and the entire cast were like, we're not doing another movie without James Gunn as the director. Oh, wow. And so they were very vocal in supporting him. And I think generally it seems like Kevin Feige and the the squad at Disney and Marvel probably had this as the plan the whole time. And they just said, listen, bro, let's go underground for six months. Let's let everybody cool. We'll fire you. You do some charity work, fist bump the kids or whatever. (laughs) And then we're going to, we'll bring you back. You know, that's sort of an under the table deal. So I will have you know that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is on, Mm. uh, but could be interesting because some of the upcoming events in the MCU might dictate what we and who we see and don't see. Is that a spoiler? We'll find out. Tune in next time. (laughs) Boom. How about that for a segue? Okay. So we have, before we watch Thor Ragnarok, 
We've got two movies that we can choose from. We can either go uh, Doctor Strange MD or Spider-Man Homecoming. Either or. What do you think? What do you want to do? I think Spider-Man because we know him. I know him. From the Avengers. I know that dude. Okay, let's do it. Uh, Yeah, I'm in. We'll go Spider-Man and then we'll go Doctor Strange and then we'll go Thor Ragnarok. And then, it's. I mean, the... What a run. I want to, I do want to ask you just in general, like we've gone Civil War to Black Panther to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. We're on quite the run here, aren't they? They're all so different. Yeah, they're really, really different. Yeah. Um, but we are going back to Earth for the next couple of movies. Yes. And then we'll see what happens after that. All right, let's see. Okay, bye. Bye. There it is, folks. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is in the books. And of course, despite our 6.5 Guardians rating, we eagerly await the next installment of the series from the returned James Gunn. Looking forward to it, buddy. We'll see you out there. As always, make sure that you log on to nerd-nexus.com. Find us out there on Twitter and Instagram. Rate us highly wherever you get your podcasts. And keep tuning in. As always, we'll see you next time, nerds.